1: Remember, 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7-365. And welcome back to the Exxon, everyone. My name is Rob McConnell. We're coming to you from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Toll-free worldwide, 1-800-610-7035. My email is xzone at com. On MSN Messenger, Exxon Radio TV at Hotmail.com. And our website, TV.com. Listen to this, Exxon Nation. This will give you an idea of what we're going to be talking about this hour.
0: It is one of the most influential stories of all time that gave us literature's greatest villain. For a hundred years, we thought his story ended there. But now, he returns. Dracula the Undead from Bram Stoker's direct descendant Dacre Stoker and Dracula historian Ian Holt comes the heart-stopping sequel to the original classic based on Bram Stoker's own handwritten notes and extensive research. Dracula the Undead on October 13th, 2009 the legend lives.
1: Joining me now is Ian Holt and Ian, welcome to the Uh, X-Zone. I have to ask you, what is the fascination after all these years with Dracula?
2: I think because um, he's a touchstone for all of us. I mean, mm-hmm. he's the first vampire we've encountered. Um, as children, we usually see the Bela Lugosi movie. Yes, one of the first vampire movies we see. Mm-hmm. Um, for people that are a little older, you know, they they the first vampire they ever heard of was Bela Lugosi.
0: So uh, it
2: becomes a touchstone, you know, and the, and Rahm's book is still. Um, book that everyone looks to when they turn to vampires. You know, all the legends of turning into a, a bat and, and all the attributes of the vampire sucking the blood and all of that all come, all stem from that book. So it's kind of like the, uh, the Bible of vampires, you know? Sure. <laughs> it's, it's, it's the uh, New Testament of vampires.
1: But tell me, Ian, are vampires real or are they folklore? Are they legend or are they fiction?
2: There are real vampires, but, you know, like a chicken and the egg, what came first, mm-hmm. real vampires or Brahm. you know? Um, today, there are real vampires out there today. There's a whole subculture. In fact, um, <clears throat> the head of the vampires lives in Paris, and his name is Father Sebastian.
1: Why would a person want to become a vampire?
2: Well, this is something, you, no matter what culture you, you can bring up. I mean, even the American Indians, mm-hmm. um, if you've ever seen the movie um, uh, A Ravenous or heard of a shapeshifter in, in Indian legend, it's dr- eating a flesh, being a cannibal, or, or drinking blood of your enemy. Uh, the Pornini were known to do that. They, you would, you would drink, eat the flesh of your enemy, and people said that you consume their soul and their power. And doing this over a long period of time, you were resistant to disease and, 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 um, and had extra, u- extra human strength. And then eventually you gained the power to ship-ship uh, into wolves or deer or, or, or other types of animals. And uh, this is the legends that go way back hmm. um, in every culture. Uh, also, there's a negative connotation of, of vampires, naturally. Um, but in Europe, uh, there was, if you had, even even here, they, even in America, in, in the colonies, there are graves that they've unearthed with vampires in them. They actually stay on the gravestones, the shale carved in, vampire. And the reason for that was the first person to uh, get a disease, let's say, tuberculosis, which was then known as deception.
3: Yeah.
2: Um, and, and, and then everyone else in the family would get it. I was a witness to a staking of a real vampire in Romania. They actually dug up a body and put an iron rod through it. You know, what it is, the wooden stake isn't really the truth. The wooden stake had something to do with the wood of the cross and all that that came later, but in the legend. But All right. originally, it was the iron rod to put through the body.
1: Ian, stand Do by. Us. We've got to take a two-minute commercial break. Ian Holt is our guest explanation. www.draculatheun-dead.com. That's Dracula, the un, and then a dash, dead, dot com. We'll be back on the other side of this commercial. Don't go away. Exxonation, Ian Holt is our guest. We're talking about Dracula this hour here in the Exxon. And where did your interest in Dracula come from, Ian?
2: Well, you, you hit on a little bit of it with that song, The Monster Mash. Um, you know, when I was a kid, um, I am very young, mm-hmm. um, I was afraid of the monsters, the universal monsters, the Wolfman and uh, and Frankenstein and Dracula. But I was a huge fan of Costello, So my dad got the idea of, letting me watch avengers tell me Frankenstein, and I could watch the monsters of the comedy. And I, you know, was hooked from then on, but the one that got me the most was Bella. And I think it was because he was the most human looking out mm-hmm. of them. You know, um, um, you know, uh, Lon Chaney Jr. was wasn't a monster when he was, was in makeup. So that doesn't really count. So it was Bella that really got to me. And I think like, you know, a lot of people ask me, why vampires? Why does, Dracula stick around with us or, or any vampires. And I think, you know, as you're an adolescent, you know, you're so not in control of your life. And you look at, at the, the vampire. He has the power of hypnotism. You know, he can make people do what he wants. Um, you know, when you're struggling with, you know, adolescence and you're trying to get the date, you want him to have the captain of the cheerleading squad or the captain of the football team, you know, whatever your choice. And you and you want uh, you know you you know there's only one person that can date them in the whole school, but if you're Dracula, you you, you can just <laughs> you wave your fingers and all of a sudden a little hypnotism and and uh, they're dating you. Um, you know if you need a best friend, you know you don't mm-hmm. have a friend, bite them on the neck, you know, and you get a friend for life. You know I think Dracula is kind of who we wish to be. If you're stuck in traffic and some guy cuts you off. You want to pull them out of the car and, you know, in a little road rage. You can't do that because you're worried about the rule of law. Dracula doesn't have that problem. He yeah. has the strength of 20 men. Yeah. You know, he, if, you, if you send him to prison, he can bend the bars and get out, you know. Um, how can the police stop him? You know, bullets go right through him. I mean, you know, you want to, you're in trouble for cash, mm-hmm. you need to rob a bank. You know, we all have these fantasies. You know, and, and for most of us, they're just fantasies for for people, you know, like that are vampires, you know, not the real vampires, but of the movies, they have, the, they have all this power. You know, it's a great fantasy. And I think adolescents, because they're so not in control of their life, really connect with vampires. I mean, look at the Twilight Craze.
1: Mm-hmm. All right, but you've got to separate fact from fiction at some time in your life. You just can't keep on pretending you're a vampire with all these powers when you're simply a
2: mortal. True, but I think, you know, for a lot of people, you know, what, when they analyze the horror movies of the 80s, mm-hmm. why did um, the, uh, the slasher films go over so huge? Why is it that the virginal girl always winds up as the heroine of these movies defeats the bad guy? I, I think it's, you know, almost like a you sit there and, you know, you're a deacon in school Well, you know, hey, I get to go watch these movies. The geek is the hero. Mm -hmm. The first one to always get killed is the, you know, the most popular kid in school or the bad kid in school that everybody likes. You know, um, I think that's all part of it. I think, you know, we become as kids, get into the, the, the phrase this way. And then it becomes part of our lives. We are always interested in the vampire because it was something that we attached to in our youth when we get older. So it's huh. the idea that you don't have to, you know, have plastic surgery. You never grow old. You don't lose your hair. You know, all these things that, and of course, a man's greatest fear is on mortality. You never die. You know, the my favorite poster of all time is movie poster is the Lost Boys poster, even though it's not my favorite vampire movie, the poster is my favorite. It says at the top of the poster sleep all day, party all night, never grow old, never die. It's fun to be a vampire. And I think that sums it up as best as I've ever heard it.
1: All right, so let's 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 just take a comparison between the fictional vampire, like okay. Dracula. Compared to the people in today's society who claim to be vampires, like they're going to die if they're shot, they're going to die.
2: Uh, um, you know, I beg to differ. I mean, yes, they are going to die, but uh, I ha- I, you know, we're doing a putting together a, a reality show uh, about vampires, mm-hmm. and one of the people that are going to be on it is a woman who was a bodyguard. I won't say, but one of the top rock stars in the world. She was shot four times, mm-hmm. tells me. And these wounds should have killed her. She attributes her survival of those four gunshot wounds to her drinking blood. And that she's she's here today because she's a vampire.
1: Was she born well, a vampire? I don't, know,
2: I, I don't know, you know, how much truth there is to uh-huh. But because I'm not a blood drinker, mm-hmm. but there are pe- the people who drink the blood. And now the, this is not don't go out and get a victim. You know, this is they have girlfriends and boyfriends or, or just acquaintances who give who give them their blood. And before you give the blood, you're screened for HIV and STDs and all of that, you know, um, that you, you drink that blood. And you're uh, supposedly you you, um, you you have you don't get sick. Get the flu every year. You don't get the uh, cold. You you you're stronger than an average person. You know, she claims she can bench more than most women, and she's not all bulked out. You know, and muscular like the um, the, the uh, heavy bodybuilder women. You know, um. So I, I I don't you know I don't know. I mean you know there's a woman Michelle Bellanger who's an energy vamp where they they put her on um on a, uh, infra, you know, a thermal camera, yep. and she sits with her girlfriend, and she runs her hands around the outside of the girlfriend. And you see she's almost has no registry. She's almost cold. She's almost at, like, death temperature.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And the girlfriend has a full aura of energy, of heat around her. And as she runs her hands around her, the energy transfers from the girlfriend to Michelle. And you see Michelle's body warm up. In the thermal cam, and the other girl get cold, and she by the end the girl the girlfriend is completely tired, and Michelle is completely energized and alive, and she says she has to do this to live. So I mean, you know, that that's easy to record. I mean, it was mm-hmm. it's recorded on the thermal cam. You sit there and you're going, you know, is there anything to this? And I'll tell you, this is maybe a little bit off topic, but there's a website called um, Black Ops or something like that, .com. And on there, they have studies that were done by the KGB that's been translated, all these freedom of stuff from Russia, mm-hmm. where they found a tribe in South America when they were building the roads to the rainforest that had never seen people. Right. And they were eaters of their own dead to consume end of their enemies. Um, and they they to consume the soul of the ancestors.
1: Well, what's the difference between doing that? What's the difference between doing that and being a cannibal? Then
2: there really is none. It's just that um, you know the person in, in those cultures they don't call mm-hmm. it cannibalism because you're not killing a person to eat them. The person dies of natural causes and then you eat them. It's a very subtle difference, but it, it you know for technical terms you know in science they use, they don't you call them actually cannibals.
1: What but, use? What 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 use does a cannibal have in today? I'm sorry. What use does a vampire have in today's society? And why would anyone in their right mind want to become a vampire? Like, well, like are, you know, these, are these are these people psychologically starts, balanced? Are they missing something in their psyche?
2: No, no. It comes from two things. One, there's an actual clinical disease. It's called Renfield mm-hmm. It's named after Renfield from the book where. People, for some reason, uh, are mentally imbalanced and they they need to eat, drink blood. Uh, This is a a psychological, real psychological, you know, a lot of these people who are like uh, Ed Gein and the serial killers Mm -hmm. have Renfield syndrome. Um, There's another part of this that comes from vampires, goths, these groups, um, emos, all the stuff that, that live outside the general society of what is acceptable society, a way to dress and, you know, they have their own community. They don't care if you're fat. They don't care if you're thin. They don't care if you're ugly, if you have pimples. They don't care. They don't care how you dress. They don't care if you're rich or poor. If if you want to be down with them, and you are. And it's a way for people who are not the cool kids in school, the shy and the imperfect, mm-hmm to find their own clique, and you're accepted. And when you get into it, you know, it's like any cult. And that's what it is. It's kind of a goth. is a cult. You know, the goth kids and all of that. Uh, it, you can leave when you want. No one's taking your family's money like in a, in, a, in a cult. But, you know, what if you're a Wiccan? You know, Wiccans have a lot to do with vampirism. Now, Wicca is white magic. I mean, it still uses the five-pointed pentagram, but it's it's straight up. Evil, like black magic, and, um, and the devil is an inverted pentagram, like an upside-down cross.
0: So um,
2: a lot of people confuse Wicca for Satanism, but it, it, Wicca is just worshipping the goddess Mother, which is the earth. They believe the earth is itself, you know, the, the energy and the wellspring from which we, we, we come. So, uh, you know, uh, vampires and all that stuff, you, you get involved with it because they're accepting. They'll take you in. You know, it's the same psychological thing of why the gangs work. You know, the, the, the Bloods and the Crips and all the LA gangs and you know the Latin Kings and everybody else. You, it's a family situation where no matter what you are, they'll accept you. I think that has a lot to do with it.
1: Stand by, you and, so and I we... have to take our commercial break. Ian Ian Holt is our sure. guest. Exonation. www.dracula-the-undead.com. That's www.dracula-the-un. Then there's a hyphen, dead.com. This is the Exxon on the Talkstar Radio Network, Exxon Broadcast Network, UK High Definition Radio, Euro High Definition Radio, Star Cable, Exxon TV, and soon on NNTV. We'll be back on the other side of this break. Don't go away. Remember, 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere. 24-7-365. Explanation. Ian Holt is our guest. We're talking about Dracula this hour. the unhyphen www.dracula-the-unhyphen-dead.com. Tell me about your book. Well,
2: um, it started in... Uh Actually, the journey started in 1995 when I attended uh, the First World Dracula Congress mm-hmm. in Romania, and I got to see, you know, stand at the, at Chindia Tower, where Dracula erected the forest to be impaled, 40,000 impaled Turkish soldiers, and I spent the night in Dracula's castle, and uh, stood at the window where his wife threw herself into the river, if you've watched, seen Bram uh, Stoker's Dracula, the Coppola movie. Um, you know, I I, 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 t- I t- toured his, pa- his palace at Tugovostay and and went to his house where he was born in Shigashwara. and um, from there um, I met Dr. Elizabeth Miller,
1: mm-hmm.
2: who I understand is a guest on your show. Yes, uh, she's the she's the Dracula police. You know, she wrote everything about Bram and Dracula you could imagine, and she checked everybody's facts. And she invited me to. Um, Dracula 97 in L.A., which was the 100th anniversary of the release of the novel. And I stood there in this room, where they had all this stuff for sale. And there were, like, 20 or 30 sequels to Dracula. And not one of them had been a hit. And not hmm. one of them had anything to do with the Stokers. And I said, well, where are the Stokers in all of this? They lost the copyright in 1927, Circle 1927. And since then, they've been out of it. And I said, gee, wouldn't it be interesting? You know, I knew that Florence, Fromm's widow, had worked on the Bela Lugosi movie. So there was a precedent for the family, you know, uh, keeping Rom's story alive and protecting it as um, after his death. So I decided to try and track down the Stoker family. And at, at, at 97, I met, you know, Bela Lugosi's son. I met uh Abbott Costello's daughter, uh, Costello's daughter, Abbott's son, and, and, and um, uh, I met Boris Karloff's daughter. So, you know, the, the legacy thing was in my head. And I, you know, over the years met people from the family and started to form a relationship with them. And many of them were very jaded and didn't want to have anything to do with it. You know, they, they felt like Hollywood had taken it and run amok with it. And... Uh, and finally, I met uh, Dacre Stoker, and he was a you know, He was a younger part of the family. He was an American part of the family. Um, you know, family branched out in Europe, and, you know, Brahms' director's tend do have the Stoker name because of the daughter that came from the daughter of so the marriage They lost the name. But, Brahm, uh, but Dacre's side of the family, and he's Brahms' great nephew, retained the name Stoker. So it seemed to be perfect, you know, when we, when we met. And Dacre had written a paper in college about uh, a book that his his ancestor had written, and he was familiar with it. And uh, when I told him, I said, if we write a book, a sequel, we can reestablish lineage, and not only lineage, but copyright, form a new copyright, and reclaim Dracula for the Stoker family it really lit a spark under him because he felt like he could heal the wound. He wasn't as jaded as the rest of the family saying, mm-hmm. oh, God, this is never going to happen. This is, this is, you know, we're, we're, we're so, uh, we've lost it and we're never going to get it back. It was like an open wound in the family. writing novel, it took us three years to write it. It, 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 with all the research that had to be done and getting to Brahms' actual notes and interviewing, you know, the oldest members of the family for stories that their parents told them about Brahm. So it was a, it was a very intensive process. And a lot of the story, you know, what didn't just come out of our heads, it came out of Brahms. You know, we felt like we wrote it with Brahm And, you know, mm-hmm. some people... I don't understand you know and I think we've changed things but you know brahm wrote in a in a 1901 um, a, a forward to the Icelandic edition of Dracula that a lot of the stuff in Dracula, in his book cannot be explained by science and he fully expected one day that it would be explained and it would change the book he's the one who came up with the idea that that everything that's Happened in Dracula was for real. He said that in in, in the Icelandic edition, he's written, he wrote in other books that it was all based on Jack the Ripper and that Jack the Ripper was uh, you know and the murders were related to the Dracula murders. He wrote all this stuff in, and that's where we got a lot of ideas from the book, from stuff that brahm actually wrote. In fact, the character of Cotford, Inspector Cotford was on a list of characters that he put together in his notes that uh, Baker went to see at the Rosenbach Library in Philadelphia where 125 pages of his handwritten notes while he was writing Dracula um, are there, and a lot of subplots and stuff. The, the original text of Dracula was much longer than the book, and it was cut by the editor. So there's all, we don't have a lot of those pages. Only two chapters still exist. Uh, and they were released separately under a title called Dracula's Guest. Was Brom
1: Stoker a, a Dracula, a vampire?
2: No, no, no. But here, here's why he chose the name Dracula, we Okay. believe. Um, Brom was very sick as a child and he almost died. And they mm-hmm. had no, we don't, we don't know what it was that he had. He was bedridden most of his childhood. And ga- in Gaelic, they call they what they, they called what he had flu which means bad blood. Mm. Um, I'm probably not pronouncing that hundred percent correct, so but it, it sounds like that. Well years later, his original title for Dragon, we have it in his notes, he was gonna call him Count Wampir, Which isn't very uh, you know, Count Vampire mm. it isn't very uh, original or, or exciting. But he heard stories about Dracula, the real historical Dracula, and um, he heard the name, and the name sounded like Drac-flor. Drac- Draculia was what he heard, which is the uh, uh, Romanian pronunciation of the name, Dracul, meaning dragon, and ya, ja, meaning son of. And in Europe, the dragon is a sim. I mean, in Romania, the, the the dragon is a symbol for the devil in Orthodox Christian culture. The seven-headed dragon in the in the uh, Book of Revelation. Well, he he when it when it comes back to uh, America, sometimes in Europe, it's translated as son of the devil, and that's how Brahm um, heard it. And he said, "What a perfect name for his, not only does it sound like the blood disease that almost killed him, but it, it you know he thought the name meant son of." the devil, and what a perfect name for a villain of his book, and that's how uh, it became Dracula.
1: How can we tell if we're talking to a a vampire, if we're out and about in downtown Toronto, downtown LA, or downtown Montreal, or wherever? What would be a tip-off to an unsuspecting member of society that the person that we we may be talking to may actually be a vampire?
2: Well, I'll tell you. You know, you you don't know. You you know. Um, if you see them at night, they're in usually you know some exotic dress. You know, um, they they, they usually dress in a crossover between you know the 1700s and, and present day, mm-hmm. something like that. And you know, you can always tell by their fangs. You know, they, a lot of uh, vampires. There's a you know there's a specialty. In this. If you go online to some of the vampire sites, will you'll see fangs, and there's special teeth makers that make real vampire fangs. There's other vampires that go to the dentist and have their uh, incisors filed down to have fangs, so it's the real teeth. But why? You can usually tell. But by why? Fangs.
1: What happens when they grow up? And and hopefully, now these are the
2: people that are grown up that do this.
1: <laughs> well, you know, like what does that tell you? That it seems to me that these people are not playing with fifty-two cards in their deck.
2: I, you know, I, I've, I've met them, and I don't see them... I think it all grows out of trying to be different. You know, they they reject the um, the, the, the tight rigors of society. You know, you have to dress a certain way. you got to wear a suit and tie to work. And all this stuff, they, they reject all of it.
1: So, so how do you they know, make a living? Uh, how do they pay their bills if they're not part of society?
2: Well, you know, uh, I'll tell you... The, I uh, I brought the vampires can walk about in daylight. And since then, you know, it's been changed. In fact, people that read Brom for the first time today think that's a mistake. Brom made a mistake. Well, in our book, we corrected to say vampires walk about, can't walk about in daylight. Brahm got it wrong because Brahm's a character in the book. And he learned about the story from, from someone. I won't give it away. But a, a vampire came up to me at one of my book signings. and He was very upset. He said, you know, he's lived his life during the day having a job. And, you know, now that he, we found, because of the sequel, that Brahm was wrong and vampires can't walk about in the day, mm-hmm. he has to quit his day job and find a night job. And, his, and like so many of his brethren, he's going to have trouble paying his bills. <laughs> uh, you know, they, they find work. You know, I, look, I, I, I know a vampire who's a butcher by day, works at a butcher shop.
1: Do you know any, do any vampires work for the Red Cross?
2: You know, that's probably, <laughs> they probably are free blood. Yeah. Are, are I you... mean, yeah, other vampires work at you know, the night shift at hospitals to get blood.
1: D- tell me, are you a vampire?
2: No, no, no. I mean, I, I have had any vampires come up to me and ask to be blood bound mm-hmm. with me, which means you share blood and you become... You know, you're supposed to have a telepathic connection to the person you share blood with. Um, no, uh-huh. <laughs> I would knock a motel room door at night, you know, track me down. But uh, no, I am not a vampire. Um, I'm a uh, friend of the vampires.
1: Uh-huh.
2: Um, i you know, I can go to the vampire ball and <laughs> which I'm going to in New Orleans. So, so do you wear um, garlic do,
1: do you wear a ring of garlic around your neck? Do you carry a crucifix and do you carry wooden stakes? Silver bullets?
2: Well, maybe the maybe the crucifix, <laughs> but that's it. And I, you know, I I I find that most of them, most of the vampires that I've met are just regular people. You know, they 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 they're not um, they're not uh, how should I say aggressive uh-huh. or act this way. I you know I think they're theatrical. You know, I, I find a that's lot a nice of them. That's way of putting it. Uh, yeah, they are they make their own clothes mm-hmm. you know they're're they're very talented artistic people that somehow just want to live outside everyday society they're not they don't they don't agree with you know um with how our world works they think it's too regimented but, but to does to stand out
1: you know if you don't agree with with the way the world works uh, does filing down your teeth or putting fang implants in and drinking blood really solve a problem?
2: No, but did you know was it any different in the 60s? You know, what was it tune in uh, drop out and whatever? It was yeah. the, the, the phrase? Yeah, but once Everyone again once, again, and of the flowers. But once another, again But once again, but once again we're talking about culture movement.
1: We're talking about people who cannot accept responsibility. That's what it that's what the bottom line is. They can't they can't address or they can't attune themselves to the way society acts, the rules, regulations, and laws. So what they do is they form little cliques, little clubs, <laughs> where where a bunch of outcasts get together.
2: You know, I, you know, yeah, I, I, think it is. I think there's strength in numbers. You know, um, you know, I, I, I think uh, that's what happens. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the flower children movement and everything else. I mean, it was the same thing. I think, you know, for me, I mean, everybody has their little something that they rebel against. You know, um. My father, you know, was a haberdasher, and he had a, you know, the suit, a suit store. Mm-hmm. I refused to wear a suit and tie. You know, I, I just don't see the. If I can dress nice and yeah. come in and look clean. Why do I have to wear the suit and tie? But you did my little way of, of rebelling. But you didn't file did down. You
1: didn't. Fi- you didn't file down your teeth into fangs, and you don't drink blood.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that the drinking of the blood is, uh, is you know, supposedly. For them, you know, they say that it enhances their uh-huh. their physical powers. You know, and and since I've never drank blood, thankfully, except if I got a little cut my finger, uh-huh. you know, and it was my own. Um, you know, uh, I I can't say whether it's true or not. You know, but to them it is. To them it's very real, and it's part. It's almost like a religion in a way. They, it's sort of like they created their own
1: religion. All right, stand by, Ian. We've got to take our final break. Ian Holt is our guest, Exxon Nation. Yes. We're talking about Dracula the Undead. His website is www.draculatheun-dead.com, or for our Canadian listeners, Draculatheun-dead.com. We'll be back on the other side of this break as the Exon continues from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. My name's Rob McConnell. Don't go away.
2: Thank you, Rob,
0: Trixie has created a powerful modality that safely and effectively clears your energetic field. A soul balancing session can remove interference, heal trauma, and restore your hope. Contact Trixie for a life-changing long-distance session today, www.soulbalancing.world.
1: You're listening to the X Zone Broadcast Network. www.xzbn.net. Exonation Ian Holt is our special guest this hour. It's been a great hour talking about vamp- uh, vampires and uh, Dracula. Exonation uh, Ian's website is www.dracula-the-undead.com, and that's Dracula the unhyphen or dash dead dot uh, You just finished another film project, didn't you?
2: Uh, we are. We just finished uh, my first producing project, and mm-hmm. I wrote it uh, with uh, Bleeberg Entertainment out of L.A. Um, it's called Episode Fifty, and if you're a fan of the ghost hunting craze, um, this is a full reality movie about, uh, based on a true story about day uh, the ghost hunters get attacked by the ghost, <laughs> not just getting evidence, but this time they actually attacked. It is part of a true story. Hmm. We're very excited about it. will be out next year. Because uh, Kieran Elliott, if, um, if you know uh, uh, Spike TV's uh, Deadliest Warrior, then you know Kieran. And uh, it's uh, pretty exciting.
1: Why do you think people are, still, are, are so fascinated about ghosts these days? No, it, it boggles my imagination.
2: I think it's because if ghosts exist, then Possibly God exists, and there's an afterlife, and we go on mm-hmm. after our death. And I think, and that's what this movie is about. It's, it's about, you know, these ghost hunting shows never deal with the implications of the evidence they collect and how it relates to our mortal lives and our... Well, and that, that, well that's
1: because death. most of the evidence that they collect is fabricated.
2: Well, it could be, but, you know, I'll tell you the truth, and I had five witnesses. One of the places we, you know, we did our research was at the uh, Franz Allegheny Lunatic Asylum mm-hmm. in West Virginia. And uh, they gave me divining rods, and I had a 20-minute conversation with a ghost. And I, I, I felt like you did. But until I've seen it, mm-hmm. and this wasn't just like the divining rods crossing for yes and you know separating a little by electromagnetic energy in the, in the atmosphere. They went full east and west. Open for no and came back hmm. and closed for yes. Why didn't they and, just, why didn't know, the
1: ghost just talk to you?
2: I, you know, I don't know. I, you know, you can, you can, you can say that they don't, that somehow they, you, you see these shows and you see battery drains. Yeah. And, um, all these things, in order for them to manifest. Yeah, but you see, I've and I've you, been in
1: television long enough to know that there's many reasons why a battery will drain, and nine 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 percent have nothing to do with ghosts. I've seen batteries.
2: How do, you, how do you explain? I've I've seen bad. I've seen I've,
1: I've 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 seen batteries drain in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean on a on a ship. I've seen batteries drain in the middle of a hotel suite in Montreal, Quebec. You know, and I also know that electromagnetic fields are not. Uh, you know, are are not. Strictly indicative to, to the paranormal. So there's a lot that has to That's be the taken.
2: Is, is, you know, they say these crossing electromagnetic fields across crisscross the country in places mm-hmm. like Stonehenge and all this with high energy. Hey, Ian, I hate I,
1: <laughs> Ian. I hate to do this, but we've just run out of time for tonight. I want to thank you very much for joining me. Exo Nation, Ian Holt has been my guest. When it comes to vampires, I'm sorry, I don't buy it one bit. And ghost hunters. Nah, you guys also need a reality check. Don't buy that either. Show me the evidence, like with UFOs, government conspiracies and all that. Then, I'll believe. I'll be back on the other side of the news. Don't go away.